Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hi there, it's Lucinda, and I wanted to introduce this special episode because it's the first one in our real-life HR professionals episodes. As you know, the HR uprising is about building each other up. It's about supporting other like-minded HR professionals to get the best out of themselves and their careers. And it's about supporting others and collaborating. Within our HR Uprising LinkedIn group, which do feel free to join us if you haven't yet, we quite often, well, we looked for people who um, had got interesting careers and were interested and prepared to come on the podcast. But um, we wanted to do this because we'd found a number of people were asking for help in their career and working out how to make the next step. So the idea of this real HR series, which we're going to run on and off, um, you know, every every other week or every few weeks, we'll um, feature a real life HR professional, is to do exactly that, to showcase real people and their journeys so that hopefully it can inspire others. It's not about something that's out of the reach. It's about how normal people can build a great HR career. So I really hope you enjoy this. I very much enjoyed talking to Paula and, uh, and I'll switch on to that shortly. Before I go further, though, I also wanted to introduce a couple of other things that you may or may not be aware of. Since lockdown, um, we've been running lots of webinars, basically, because uh, we found that that's where people were learning online. So if you're not already aware of them, I had one last week with I had 200 people on, which was amazing. Um, I'm running them. I'm running two every month. And so I run one which is aimed at people professionals. And I also aim... Um, run one which is aimed at line managers. So whether you want something to develop yourself, and this week, this month's topic is about virtual performance management and performance management, or whether you something want something to uh, develop people who work with you in terms of your line managers, you might find that the webinars that we're running, and I'll put the link there on our Actus page, Actus forward slash webinars, um, you might find that they're worth checking out. So feel please feel free to do that. And finally, I also wanted to announce that I will be kicking off our newly redeveloped Change Superhero training course. It was a one day face to face. It's now um, three modules, but also with a kickoff and an end call and a final call. It's highly interactive. We've had great fun developing it. And anyone who wants to be more confident managing change themselves, um, supporting others through change, that will be kicking off in September and we are taking early bird bookings during August at half price. So again, I'll put the link in the show notes or just go to hruprising.com or to actus.co.uk and you can access or check out more detail about what's involved in that virtual training programme, which should be really good fun. So enough of the update. Um, Over now to Paula Jones in our first Real HR episode. Hello and welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. My name is Lucinda Carney and 
This week, I'm extremely excited because this is our first in a new series of episodes. And this series is all about real life HR professionals. We know from um, feedback from our audience that many of you are at different stages in your career and it's really helpful to understand from other professionals the things that they've learned, the journeys that they've been on and I think just this opportunity to collaborate um, with regard to um, building our network. So I'm very grateful to Paula Jones from Leighton to be our first willing candidate. We've just been chatting away and uh, we'll try not to go too fast because we think we might end up bouncing around too much, Paula, I think, from our natural pace of conversation. So, Paula, do you want to just give me a little bit of an introduction to yourself, your current role maybe, um, and then we'll go into your background and how you got to be here. Yeah, thank you so much, Lucinda. This is so exciting. It's great. Thank you. So um, I currently work for a company called Leighton. It's based in Sunderland. It's a tech organisation. And um, I've been with Leighton now since about 2017, so nearly three years. I am the only HR person in a standalone role as head of people. That's what we call ourselves. And I pretty much do everything. I am the strategic HR influence, um, setting anything from performance related plans down to culture, engagement, through to doing stuff, as I like to call it. Um, we've got a headcount of just under 40 employees um, and it's an amazing incredibly amazing organization to work for with incredible talent amazing talent I'm always in awe of tech people it's incredible mm-hmm. you sound pretty passionate about it Love in, in terms of your role obviously we'll go back into your previous ones but I'm interested because um, as we were just chatting it's been a challenging time for HR professionals um, recently and there's been a lot of let's say, transactional um, activity that people have had to jump into with changes in laws and um, all the various working pattern changes. So it's it's interesting to hear the fact that you see a key part of your role as being strategic. And how do you manage to get that balance if it's mainly you between being strategic and tactical? That's a really good question, because at the moment, um, I, I tend to to, to, I've got an administrator who helps me occasionally, um, who will do a lot of my letters and things. However, when I first started at Leighton, I also um, upskilled all of the line managers. So I don't get involved in any of the real tough conversations and the conflict conversations that maybe some of the managers will do around performance or sickness absence or whatever so they tend to do all of that side of the work themselves even some of the administration with um i don't know with contracts of employment etc they will tend to do all of them themselves but we've also got a recruiter that works for another part of our business that will do that side of the work and the administration for the, for the strategic side of things, that's that's my passion. That's what I really love to get involved with. I like to see the things that we can put in place that are aligned to the business strategy and that will make a real difference to our people to keep them engaged, to keep them motivated and to keep them retained um, in their yeah. roles and to watch them grow and to flourish. So it, it can be a bit of a juggling act and in particular 
whilst we've been going through COVID-19, a lot of it has been extremely transactional. Um, you know, we've just gone through a period of time which uh, has been unheard of, especially for me in my 25 years of HR. Um, but it's the case of having to just juggle and deal with things. You've got to be very resilient, <laughs> very well organised. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just trying to juggle things as and when and surrounding yourself with great peers. So it's great. To, obviously, I suppose you're a talent organisation in terms of what you do. It's, you've always been good at bringing in talent. Um, and that's that's um, so. And, and I get the fact that you would have had to be tried, tried um, transactional recently with various restructures and things. Going back, though, I'm just um, intrigued as to when you came in. So when you say you upskilled the managers, did you personally train them? Was there any resistance to them doing that? You know, how did you get them on board to take on, I mean, did, uh, take on something that traditionally quite a lot of line managers might see as being an HR role? So a lot of those admin tasks that end up with HR. How did you persuade them to take them on and how did you upskill them? Um, that's, <laughs> well, if people know my personality, um, I can be quite direct but in a very nice way um what i've what i mean joking apart what i tend to do is i build great relationships i get to understand what makes a manager tick what's important to them and what's important to their people and how can we get the best out of their people and out of the line managers as well you will be amazed that when i started at Leighton, a lot of the managers were wanting to do the management side of their roles, but they were just never allowed to because of the amount of, because as well as being managers, they were also being project managers or they were being developers. Um, and so what we did was we split the role so that they would do maybe 20% of project management or 20% of development, and then it would be 80% of the other side of line management. And literally I set up a number of different um, workshops for people and it was pretty much just around how do they have conflict conversations how do they manage somebody who potentially has a disability um, how do they manage those performance conversations and setting the right goals having check-ins and regular one-to-ones with them how do you recruit great talent etc so they we had a suite of workshops which I developed um, which I took from other companies I'd worked in. So, you know, it's just about, um, and um, just put them through a training programme. And, you know, it doesn't just stop in the classroom. There's quite a lot of hand-holding and a bit of coaching and things with them. But a lot of the managers are doing so well, really, really well, and getting as much as what they can out of their team and themselves. Uh So they were up for it and you kind of, um, helped them clarify their responsibilities so that they weren't being pulled onto other priorities, just they weren't being pushed into the day job only, uh-huh. so they were able to do it. And then you gave them the skills and and, and then continue to develop them. And now three years on, yeah. you're reaping the benefits. Uh-huh. It's allowing you to be strategic yeah. um, whenever possible. Uh-huh. That's great. Well done. I was going to say, that sounds, really, that sounds like a model answer. Congratulations. And I guess you must have the support of your CEO or the board. You'll sit on the executive board, don't you? You sit yeah. on the senior board. So that I guess they, they were supportive of that. Uh, I, I have to say um, that my CEO, James, he'll kill me for saying this, but he's probably one of the best managers I've ever worked with. He's real value in HR. I've never, ever really had to push 
and influence him on a lot on many things because he just sees the value in it and he's very people orientated and the rest of my peers that I work with on the exec team as well are in exactly the same boat as as my CEO um you know people are what drive our business and if we don't treat people in the right way people will just leave yeah that sets the culture doesn't it so that's 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 great Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Okay, so that sounds like a, a really nice place to be. And it's a culmination of, of your journey so far. You said you've been 25 years in HR. So do you want to go right back to the start of your HR journey and how you got into it? Yeah, it's. Um, it, it, I fell into HR. I, I didn't go to university. I went to college. I studied um, a secretarial course, an administration course. I worked as a typist in a typing pool for nearly 10 years for the civil service and took voluntary redundancy and and I started doing a bit of temp work in a variety of different administration roles, one of which was for the um, health authorities, as they were at that time, and as a HR administrator. Uh, It was on a temporary basis and my very, very first HR job I was put into a room with about six filing cabinets. And when I opened the drawers, there was papers everywhere. They were people's personal files. And I had to go through every file and make sure every relevant piece of paper was in the relevant file. And that was my very first HR role. Took me about a week to do it. It was the most horrendous, but the most interesting because you get to read about people. Um, and that was my very first job. And, you know, it came with its ups and downs. I, I, I wasn't very academic, but I'm very good at retaining information and learning stuff on the job. And I ended up getting my permanent role, started my CIPD with, 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 uh, as the administrator there and was there for about three years. Um And then took my very first standalone role um, for a business that did credit management. Um, I was the HR manager there. My manager was based in an office about two hours drive away. And it was a call centre. So it was my first experience of working in a call centre. And having to deal with a lot of different opportunities there because people are calling, collecting debt. Um, So it's extremely difficult for the employees because they'll have extremes of conversations of those people extremely upset on the phone. And then at the other end of the scale, they could be getting threatened, angry, leaving work. And that job was great. It was a great foundation for me, really, um, to start using my own development for employee relations because it was quite employee relations orientated disciplinaries sickness absence etc um and I worked there for a, a good couple of years to get some great skills under my belt and then from there on really my roles have just you know been so varied in outsourcing organizations um working with warehousing and direct mail sales and service I've worked in the telecommunications as senior HR manager for Cordwell Group for about 12 months, which was a experience because it's 
quite a direct and very hard culture to work in. Um, but for some reason, they really liked me and I had great relationships with the CEOs and with the managing directors there. And then I suppose where my real HR background started was at Sage. I worked for Sage over two periods for about nine years. Um, I worked in a team of about 50 people, um, HR professionals. 50 and HR people, that's a bit of a roles. That's a bit of a switch from one to the other, isn't it? That's from being standalone to be part of 50. Yeah, it is. And it's, on the one hand, it's it's amazing because you've got these fabulous professionals that are sitting around you. You're not on your own. So if you want to sit and discuss something that's quite complex, because I deal with quite a lot of high-level, complex ER um, issues there from fraud to pornography to um you know people having fights and things you know just being able to bat around ideas and share some ideas was fantastic but then on the other side of it um you didn't get involved in the recruitment side of things or the reward side of things or the L&D side of things you were quite niche that it was yeah your business areas you helped them with strategy quite specialist yeah yeah it is so it was a, a, it was a fantastic time at, at, at Sage. Um, I supported four or five different business areas with all very different um, ideas of how they wanted to support people. Very different strategies, very different transactional things that we had to do on a day to day basis. Um, but the main thing I would say about working with Sage that I learned was building those good, strong, credible relationships, not just working within your HR team, but getting out and talking to people and talking to your stakeholders as well. And I found that really, really important. Um, but it was I, I took voluntary redundancy the first time, went back six months later, <laughs> stayed there for four years. I left as the senior business partner and then um, took a couple of roles in utilities um, which just wasn't right for me I've worked in the care industry which is an incredible industry to work in very very underrated um, but what I would say probably the hardest um, industry I've ever worked in the hardest industry. So um, care homes, you mean care that homes. sort of thing? Yeah, I looked after 14 care homes across the northeast and, and Yorkshire. Um and obviously very underpaid um mm. people working extremely long hours dealing with very complex needs from people with dementia care. Um and my main role there for the 12 months I was there was dealing with employee relations. That's pretty much all I did every single day. And then obviously from Wellburn Care, I went straight to Leighton. Mm-hmm. So um, each, that, that's a really diverse career, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I've, got, I've got a couple of questions about that. One is about what would make you decide to, to move from one role to the next? Did you feel you'd outgrown them or you didn't like the culture or were you kind of spotted a new job that you liked more? What, what drove your changes? Um, there's been a variety of reasons why but with with Sage, I think the main one was with Sage because having spent so much time working for one organisation, 
I think I just got to a point in my career where I just felt that I couldn't really add any more value than what I'd added in the time mm-hmm. I was there. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of change happening at Sage and I embrace change. I, I love it. It's what makes the world go around. It's what makes businesses so unique. But I just found that the changes that they were going through, they just went right for me. And also as well, if I'm being really honest, working in a team of 50 people can be quite um, very time consuming. But also as well, you start to create your small little cliques in the office. Yeah. Yeah. And um everybody's vying for that next promotion opportunity and I just felt you know being somebody who was a little bit more mature than a lot of the people in the office I just thought I think the time's right for me for me to move on Um, yeah and then a couple of the others were you know in terms of you start in roles then something else comes up that you've been waiting for all of your career and these things like me leaving Wellbeing Care to go to Leighton, I've always wanted to work in a tech organisation as a standalone, as the head of HR, working with the CEO, working with the exec teams, working with the shareholders, you know, creating yeah. great stuff. And if I turn that opportunity down, I may never have got that opportunity again. So that's the reason why. So. Mm-hmm. And I guess you, because you're in the northeast, it's a smaller pond, is it, to a certain extent? So if you see a role that's in a place that you want to work in, you know, prior to the days where we were location independent, is is that part of the driver as well? Yeah, it is. I mean, if you know northeast and especially the HR community, it's very incestuous. You see one yeah, person, one company, and then two two years later, so you never ever annoy anyone in the HR community. <laughs> You'll always see them a couple of years later. Yeah, you see that <laughs> so, in industries as well, don't you? Absolutely, you do. And and I think the thing is with the northeast, um, you don't always tend to find these these big roles, um, you know, that allow you the freedom to implement great things for people um you're always part of a smaller cog i think in bigger organizations however the northeast now is coming up as being one of the biggest tech industries outside of london and so they're growing and these tech industries will always need hr so we're going to see the tech industry grow and grow and grow over the coming years so and also your point about talent and retaining talent that actually means that it's not you, you do need to treat your people well and to um get the best out of them because there are maybe opportunities around the corner which there might not have been if you know or you can also poach talent i suppose it's an opportunity and a threat if you if you're in that sort of scenario yeah it is and i think with the northeast is um because there are a lot of tech businesses coming up in the in, in, in the northeast you tend to find that they they can command it's it's it, you know it's it's a it's an employee's opportunity to be able to go from different companies to different companies dependent on offerings because mm. for them it's not just about salary it's finding an organization that floats their boat that gives yeah. them what they need that provides a bit of excitement so I I'm now talking with my CEO about looking at growing our own talent 
getting into universities. We have some of the big, the most fantastic universities in the UK yes. that have the most, um, you know, STEM students that are studying for uh, computer studies and for development studies and things. So I think businesses need to tap into that a lot more. Definitely. And then my second um, um, question on that, Paula, was about your CIPD. Mm-hmm. So how, two questions around it is, one is you said you, you didn't, you don't consider yourself to be particularly academic. So how easy or difficult did you find it to do? And, and secondly, how useful have you found it? Um, I have to say I found it incredibly difficult. And there was a, there was, the reason for that was when I started on my CIPD back in 1996, I think it was, 95, I was working full time and I was a single parent with a young child Um, and not being very academic as well and going to college and then on to university to do my CIPD. It took me four years to do it. Um, I did fail exams a couple of times, um, but I didn't let it phase me. I just thought you've got to do this, even if it's just to prove something to myself. Um, But I managed it. Um, and, and I think I I would say, and this because I know people work incredibly hard to get their um, their CIPD. I would say it's not really been a barrier for me on whether or not I would have had my CIPD qualification or not. Um, you know, a, a lot of the companies that I have worked for never asked about CI, CIPD. Leighton did. Um, yeah. A lot okay. of the other bits, in fact, Sage, I don't believe, asked me about my CIPD. Um, but I do think CIPD allows for the credibility in the industry of, mm. of HR with other HR professionals. It gives them that reputation and that credibility. Yeah. Was it was it five? Which which of the which level did you do? So my, well, when I did mine, it's it didn't have all of these levels. In fact, when it I was just that, a one it qualification, was, it, was the, it was the IPD when I did mine. It wasn't the CIPD. oh yes, yes, ago. I do remember that term. Yeah, I do yeah. Institute of Personal Development, wasn't it? Okay, fair enough. So it, it was it was the qualification at the time. It so so it's been more of a credibility for you, yeah. would you say, in a confidence build? Uh, yes, definitely confidence build and and, you know I have often thought to myself should I you know get get my chartered institute or something like that but I've always found I've never really needed it um but it's something that's always been in the back of my mind brilliant okay so on on that and moving on so that was some useful tips almost like it it is hard but kind of carry on and do it and challenge yourself Mm -hmm. um what other tips have you got for aspiring HR professionals or people building their careers at the moment what's what's what have you learned along the way that you think has been useful or do you wish you've done differently yeah I think I mean for me it's not about what a HR person does for me it's all about how a HR person does things and how a HR person interacts and builds relationships. I think one of the biggest things that I found in HR is just having that real belief in yourself. Um, you'll get knocks and scrapes along the way. I was told once I would never make it in HR, so I wanted to prove a point by doing it. And, you know, it's just a, never, ever allowing somebody to tell you that you are not good at what you do. And that's one of the biggest things that I've learned. I think with HR, 
you need very broad shoulders. You need a lot of resilience. HR gets blamed for everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually, a light goes out. It's HR's fault. And I wouldn't take it personally. It's 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 harder in your early career for HR not to take it personally because people want to be liked. But mm. for me, it's not about being liked. And I've learned this over time. It's about being respected and people understanding the reasons why you do certain things. I think you need to have a passion for HR. And that's the one thing I've really learned. You have to have a passion for people and for organisations and for doing the right thing for people, as well as balancing the commercial side as well. So you may have to make some really tough decisions that you don't really want to do, but you know it's the right thing for the organisation. And in the long run, it will be the right thing for the person that you're working with as well. Some other things is, you know, over my career, I've sat at a lot of exec tables and I'm not the best with numbers. I learn how to do it. You know, I look after budgets and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and sometimes I could be sitting around a table and I'm thinking, no idea what they're talking about. Don't be afraid to ask. Can you just tell me what you're talking about here? Learn, learn, learn. Never be afraid to question and challenge. Even if the back of your mind, you're thinking, this is a dumb question here, just ask it. It's a must. And then um, I think finally for me, I think the other thing for me is be open, honest and transparent with the people that you work with. Show humility, be yourself. Try not to be the HR with the big stick who goes around thinking that if somebody does something wrong, that it's all about disciplinaries and things. Be pragmatic and listen and be kind with people. Um, HR isn't black and white at all. There are a lot of shades of grey, but being pragmatic will allow you to find the right solutions. And most of all, have fun. A lot of HR people think that they can't go out on on parties and works nights out. It's the only way you get to build your relationships is going along and and showing the human side of human resources, definitely. And then you feel, and then you actually build trust. They trust you because you feel like one of them and they're more likely to be open and honest and and react better with you and and hopefully allow you to help them, I guess, um, when they need you. Yeah, of course they do. I've worked in companies where I was called HR. They didn't yeah. call my name. And so I'd start to call them at sales or service or something. Yeah. Whilst yeah. Leighton and when I worked at Wellburn Care, it was Paula because they, I know everybody at the company I work in. I know about their families. I know the things that they like to do. Um, and that's the only way that you can build that trust, definitely. So have you learned those over the years or do you think you've they've been that's been your secret of your success if you like sort of being yourself is it is that uh, is that your superpower no I wouldn't say I think if you'd met me when I was probably at school and college I was very quiet I was the person who sat in the background and it wasn't until I started to go to college and had my first job and my, my, and I started to get a few knocks and scrapes and my dad said to me just don't allow people to walk all over you. Just be yourself because you're fun, 
you know you can be outgoing but not in people's faces just have a bit of fun and just be yourself and treat people with humility and you'll go far and that is the one thing that's always stuck with me I think that sounds like so if you were going to give advice to somebody else would you pretty much repeat that that advice to to your dad that you sorry that your dad said to you is that something you would pass on to somebody else Definitely, I did it with my son. Uh, you know, I was a single mum. My son's thirty now, and uh, you know, again, wasn't that academic, but has an amazing career. You know, a beautiful home. You know, his partner, the beautiful children. That's what I always instilled in my son: is work hard, show humility, have some fun, treat people in the right way, and you'll go far. And just have belief in yourself. And he, I couldn't be prouder. <laughs> Ah, oh, fabulous. So uh, I guess what I mentioned is rather than go into COVID and things like that, because we talked about a bit of that earlier, if it was just to wrap this up, um, would you have an example of uh, maybe a biggest, something you'd do differently? So not failure, but because so, you, you, know, you don't believe in failure necessarily, but you know, something you would change or you'd do differently if you were to look back on your career and maybe your biggest success of those of the things that we've run through or maybe something we haven't mentioned if you were to pick one out on each side one thing you'd change one thing that you're most proud of what would you go for um I, I, this is going to sound like a bit of a cop out me saying this right so if you want me to change it i will but <laughs> we can we can edit it i'm sure i don't but need to i don't think i would ever change anything and you know the reason why is because everything that i've ever gone through be it work or personal life has made me who I am today. It's made me a better person. It's made me realise that people and having good, great, talented people around you can can make you a success. Um, Pretty much all of the people, uh, uh, the HR people I met at Sage are now my close, close friends, some of who I recruited and learned from. And so I don't, I don't, even in my personal life, you know, I don't believe that I would ever, ever change anything. Um, I suppose there's little things with work that you might say, I may have done that slightly differently. I remember once being told that I micromanaged. Um, and, and I think the biggest successes for me um, in my career have probably been, passing my CIPD despite the fact that I wasn't very academic and having the most amazing career that I never in my wildest dreams ever ever thought that I would have um, when I was at school and at college I thought I would spend the rest of my life as a typist sitting with headphones on and typing dictation for the rest of my life but to be able to work with amazing people and amazing talented organizations has been an absolute joy for me it really really has it's been tough um very very tough at times and sometimes I come home of a night and and pour out a very large glass of wine and have a large bar of chocolate but tomorrow's always another day always another day and there are worse people off than you it's just been an incredible journey and I've loved every second of it Oh, fantastic, Paula. It sounds like I can totally believe people are very lucky to have you. I think passion and enthusiasm is just a, a massive, 
Mm -hmm. I suppose in any role and actually in also helping people really believe in the value of HR. So I, I, I thank you so much because I do believe that this would be quite inspirational for many people <laughs> who are listening. Um, certainly interesting because everyone's got their own journey and story. Um, Paula, if anyone wants to network with you, I know you are a member of our HR Uprising LinkedIn group. Mm -hmm. um, are you happy for us to put your LinkedIn details on the show notes? Um, are you open oh, to networking with people? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I love networking. It was the one thing I was never really good at a couple of years ago, but it's all I tend to do now is networking through, and it's the way I like to learn as well. So I'm more Brilliant. than that. Well, that's it, isn't it? Because everything's moving on so quickly. We were talking off camera, weren't we, earlier about, um, you know, running, uh, learning on the job and people actually are learning. It. And I, I, that's the way it is now. It's not like going on a training course anymore, really. It's actually, how can we gather information from others? And, that, and, and that's part of the point of this series of podcast episodes as well, really. How can we get inspiration from others and, and learn from others and maybe other collaborations will take place offline? So brilliant. Thank you so much, Paula. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on our Real HR series. Oh, thank you, Lucinda. It's been, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.